podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Lots of things to talk about this week. Lots of things have happened. First, I should just say thank you to everybody who's sent in your emails with questions and comments, and we're going to come to those after the break. The email address, by the way, is theanalystpodcast at gmail.com for questions or suggestions of topics we could talk about in the future. And we're going to talk today about Joffrey Archer, who, of course, uh, has now been announced as a possible for England's World Cup, having seen the um, ECB change their qualification rules so that he can be qualified to play for England after Christmas. And also, we're going to look ahead to the Australia-India series. I'm going to be working on that for, for BT. It starts on Wednesday night in Adelaide. India, of course, have never won the a test series in Australia. And we've got Michael Slater talking about the prospects for that series. And lots of other things to talk about as well. But we should talk about the Jofra Archer thing first, because I've actually got a, a little comment in a moment from an Indian coach who's worked with Jofra and really rates him very highly. Have you seen much of him? I've seen some of him in the in the Big Bash. I actually saw him play last year in the Big Bash live when I was in Australia and on television as well. I've seen him. I mean, he's a, he's a tremendous young talent, isn't he? And clearly, you know, if he becomes available, then I think England would be mad n- not to pick him. And the problem comes is they're going to have to pick him blind in one way because he's not. it looks as if he's not going to be able to play in the West Indies because of qualification rules. He has to spend a certain amount of time in this country. So we'll wait and see what happens with that. But clearly he's going to be available in time for England to pick their World Cup squad. And I know for a fact that England are a bit concerned about their their pace bowling in one-day cricket. If they feel if they have got a weakness, that's where it lies. I remember, you know, just for example, England going around the park in Scotland last year. And just every now and again they've gone around the park. They went around the park in that match of the Premadasa, the last one-day international against Sri Lanka. So they've just, just in that pace bowling area, I think they've got one or two problems. I remember speaking to Trevor Bayliss in Christchurch in March, it would have been, after they played the one-day series there. And I said to him, is, is that it now as far as the squad's concerned? You know, the players who are, you know, who've been picked already, that's going to be the World Cup squad. And he said, yes. But having said that, you know, they picked Ollie Stone. So clearly, they, clearly there are one or two feelings there that they haven't quite nailed it down. So, I mean, if Archer is available, then really, I mean, he's a great option to have. What's your feeling about this change of the the regulations? Because, funny enough, I remember back in the 1980s, and uh, at the time, you you had to have seven-year residency to Mm. qualify to play for England, and suddenly that was changed to sort of four years to accommodate Graham Hick. Mm. Often these rules are sort of adapted if there's a player that England particularly like. Of course, Hick then made his test debut and actually never quite delivered on, on the potential and the promise he had. But this does seem to be a, 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 a change which has been rumoured for a while and suddenly they've just made mm. it at a very opportune moment. Yeah, well, the, the point is, about just as, as far as it relates to Archer... There's no doubt Archer's going to play for England sometime or other. He's, he's thrown his lot in with England. He has got an English parent, although he was born in, in Barbados. So, yeah, he's going to play sometime. So, you can see the expediency. But I think that one of the problems with it is, and we, we've been discussing this, one of the problems is that if you reduce it to three years, 
then you know, lots of players are going to see English cricket as an attractive career move. I mean, they have in the past. I mean, we've, we've taken in lots of South Africans, for example. I could only see Tony that. Greg onwards. I, yeah. I can only see that increasing. Can, can you? I yeah. mean, because yeah. it, it, which I mean, it, you know, you don't, you can't blame the cricketers for, for seeing that opportunity. But what what seems a problem for me is that it's going to weaken other countries. You've already yeah. seen the South Africans, you know, losing players. Ireland have lost played players like Owen Morgan, who've come and qualified to play for England. There are other examples, and it, it, you feel in the end you need a, a strong group of countries to keep the world game going yeah. and if they all suddenly migrate to England or say Australia maybe then suddenly you've got these very weak countries and there are too many weak countries as it is. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me the country that's most vulnerable to this is, is South Africa I mean we've already had that sort of player drain from South Africa the only thing I would say is I, and I, I don't know the answer to this is what is going to happen with Brexit is that going to make a change as far as uh, coal pack is concerned, or you know, or qualification through your through EU? Uh, you know, an do you EU mean you born... haven't read the five hundred eighty page <laughs> document that, that actually specifies what's going to happen to county cricket and rules qualifying? Uh, no, you haven't. Not yet. Right. Well, no. Have you? <laughs> I, I wonder if anybody has actually. Everyone's saying, "Oh yes, I've read the document," but surely not too many people actually have. Anyway, we don't. What we don't know is, is what the qualification situation yes. is going to be when it, the, Britain leaves the EU, if indeed it does make that foolhardy decision to leave the Ooh, EU. Oh, that's that's a radical comment. Um, the, the question is, though, how good is Jeff Joffre Archer? Because you know, there's lots of talk about him, but how good actually is he? Now, we've got a man who's worked with him, who has a very high regard for him. This is Zubin Barucha, who is one of the most respected coaches in the IPL, coaches for the Rajasthan Royals, and he uh, was one of the people who bought Archer last summer for 800000 to play for the Royals in the IPL, and this is what he's got to say about him. Now you're seeing suddenly that a lot of guys are trying different things, like the English boys are both trying to bowl that one coming over the top, you know, the one that Malinga bowls, that kind of dips. So Stokesy has been working very hard on that. Oh, yeah. And it took him, it took him, he said, two years almost to just daily just trying to, you know, fiddle around with it. And you won't believe it, he walked into the net with us and he was trying it and Archer was next to him yeah. and said... Uh, what are you working on? What are you trying? What are you trying? What is it like? How is it? What does it work like? And so what he did was he went there and he, he tried... You won't believe he ran him and he bowled it. Oh. Yeah. If you ask Stokesy about Archer, he'll say he's the most talented bowler I have ever seen in my life. Full stop. Yeah. He just runs in and does stuff that yeah. you, you takes you years to perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a freak. He's a freak. So would you pick him for a World Cup for England then? Oh my God. You would walk into the side. He'd be our best bowler. Straight away. Well, that's unequivocal, isn't it? And from an independent viewpoint as well, I mean, presumably he wants India to do well in the World Cup, but he says you know, England got to pick Jofra Archer if he's available. And I, I, I can see that as well. I, the only, I suppose the only other thing is players who have you know, been part of that squad, who've done you know, quite well, thinking, well, hold on, they've suddenly picked a guy you know, who's never played before, uh, who's only just qualified... And they might say, well, you know, and he, and he should be playing for the West Indies. Some people might say that. You know, that's where he's... But I know he's thrown his lot in with England and he, and he does have a, an English parent. But you can, you can see, you know, the, the, the gripes among players who are sort of in the squad, on the fringes, thinking that. But I suppose England's goal is, you know, is, is a ruthless one, isn't it? It's, mm. to, it's to win the World Cup. And an archer 
two of the fastest bulls bowled in the IPL last season were by Archer, 94 miles an hour. Uh, but the interesting thing is he also has uh, a very new, slower ball, which we, in fact, we also saw a Lassith Malinga bowl in, in-, in England's one-day series in Sri Lanka. This, this kind of ball, which it, it, it's, it's, it comes slightly out of the top of the hand. You know, I've got a ball here, and I'm, I'm going to try and, and demonstrate it. Basically, you, you keep your fingers close to the seam, and you almost spin it out, a bit like a doosra, out of the top of your hand by bringing your two fingers down the side, the right-hand side of the ball, and spinning it out almost like a top twinner with your thumb, thumb as well. And what it does is it comes out, as I say, a bit like a doosra, and dips as the batsman's expecting it to go for his chest. It suddenly ends up at his feet. And it's a very clever ball, which Archer seems to be able to bowl naturally. So that's a nice variation compared to all the other things he has, plus his 90-mile-an-hour delivery. Is that similar to the ball that Franklin Stevenson used to bowl, or is it different? I think it's different. I think Franklin Stevenson bowled this incredible sort of swirling off-break, and that was more uh, an actual spinner, really, whereas this is more of a, a flicked-out delivery, which uh, is bowled actually slightly round-arm, and that's why Malinga's particularly good at it. It's, it's learnt from baseball. If you look at all the different pitches that, that baseball pitchers produce, there are sort of seven or eight different ones, and some of them really dip. One's called a sinker, and it really does sink low to the batsman's sort of feet when he thinks it's coming for his chest. Very clever delivery that's that's hard to pick. So, you know, Archer's got lots going for him at the moment. It'd be fascinating to see how that story unfolds. What sort of speed does it come out at? So 75, right. 70, 75, something like that, compared, compared to 90. So it's about a 15-mile-an-hour difference. Mm. So, you know, he's got the assets. Uh, the question, can he, can he prove that in the short time that he's going to have available before the World Cup? Do, do you think England should pick him yeah, if he's available? I do, yeah. I, I don't like the change in the rules, no. but once they've done it, yeah, I do. I think he's, he's got something completely different. He's a really deceptive bowler. So in a sense, he, you know, he would go blind into the tournament in that England haven't... You know, England hadn't seen him play or hardly seen him play at international cricket yeah. because you, you've got to pick your provisional World Cup but, squads, haven't but you? But the, the thing is, the fact that he's had the experience of the Big Bash and the IPL, he might get some more of that coming up. Uh, it's just invaluable experience. It's seeing him perform under pressure, plus a few one-dayers in the summer, I think hopefully that'll be enough. I mean, one of the points about this is that he's such an exciting cricketer that if you've got exciting cricketers, you want them to be on the on the big stage. I mean, if Australia had him or India had him or whoever had him, really you'd want him to be in the tournament. You've got a, you've got a great young talent. Everyone needs to see him because the game, the game needs that sort of player. Yeah, definitely. Well, listen, anyway, we'll, we'll follow that story with interest. Let's move on to Australia-India coming up Wednesday night, uh, 11 o'clock at night. I'm going to be sat in the studio in Stratford, actually, hosting that for BT. I'm looking forward to it as long as I can stay awake. Lots of... Uh, I'll have to have lots of espressos, I think, uh, before, before that. But it, it's a fascinating series because both sides are vulnerable with mm. batting and obviously good with bowling. India have never won a test series in Australia before and a lot of people thinking that this might be their, their best opportunity. Well, it feels like it, doesn't it? Last winter, the Ashes, Smith and Warner made 1,100 runs between them in that series. So Australia have got to find those 1,100 runs over the course of this series. And, you know, have they got the players that can come in and score those 
that number of runs? Well, I don't think they have, have they? Um, so it, it, it promises to be a, a quite a close series. We saw a close series here in the summer where th- there were two really tight test matches, which, which England won. Uh, it was 4-1. Did England deserve to win 4-1? Well, uh, I think deserve to win is probably the, is often the most overused and meaningless phrase in sport because it is about what actually happens in the end. And you know, you can say well, we you know, we deserve to win. You don't deserve to win if you don't win. Do you, do you understand what I mean by that? Uh, managers, football managers, often say we deserved more from that game. Well, no, because the whole idea is to put the ball in the net. That is the we only, were robbed. <laughs> that is the only thing that really matters. So you know, you can say that India deserved more, but actually, when it when push came to shove, they weren't quite good enough. Yeah. Now, are they going to be good enough? In Australia against that Australian attack. I mean, you you pointed out, and I I sort of questioned you uh, back in early August before the series. You you questioned India's batting lineup, and I thought they probably had enough to come over and, and do do really well in England. And as it happened, they they didn't, did they? And they are they are going to be put under a lot of pressure by that four man Australia are, attack. They are, and and they are fragile. And they've lost uh, Pritvi Shaw, who's this burgeoning new young opening batsman who's injured, who made 100 on debut against the West Indies about two or three months ago. Very exciting young player. He's out. So they're going to be playing probably Murali Vijay and Kale Rahul as an opening pair. Murali Vijay, an experienced player, but has shown a lot of vulnerability and fragility. Didn't look good in, in England, got dropped after a couple of tests. Uh, then also, I'm not convinced by Pajara anymore either. So, you know, massive pressure on Kohli. Rahane, mentally weak. So, you know, they're, talented, Rahane, they're you? talented players, but I think they're mentally weak. And if the Australians get into their eyeballs and mm. give them a bit of a stare and a few you know, whistling around their ear holes, they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to necessarily deliver. I don't yeah, think. yeah, they're only allowed to stare at them right now. They're not allowed to say anything, Fair of enough. course. Well, quite right. They, don't, they won't need to. Someone like Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummings, <clears> they don't need to say anything, do they? They're very good bowlers. But Australia, as you say, are they going to get the runs? You look at their batting, and without the, the Warner and the Smith, Travis Head, Aaron Finch, they might play. They've only played two, two tests, tests yeah. each. Uh, they've got Hans, Peter, Peter Hanskin might play, but sort of strange technique. They've called up Marcus Harris, who's never played a test match before, left-hander that uh, the coach, Justin Langer, quite likes because he's from Western Australia. So, you know, he's their moved, batting is very uncertain. To, he's moved to Victoria now, yes. Harris. He made 250 in a, in a Shield game earlier in the season. His average, I think, at Western Australia was only 28. His overall career average now is... 35 so he's he's clearly well yeah, to be picked for australia he's clearly stepped up but yeah you just, there are so many unknowns i think that's what makes it really a really interesting and an exciting series I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and i know another person who's looking forward to it is michael slater the former australian opener now he's been in dubai commentating on the new t10 league it's the second year of the t10 league we've had scores incidentally in that 10 over league in dubai one score of 180 off 10 overs and some very exciting players coming through. One he has pointed out as Nicholas Poor and the West Indian left-hander who smashes it everywhere. Johnny Bairstow got an 84 the other day and about 20 old balls as well. So it's obviously a very exciting tournament. Before we got on to the subject of the Australia-India series, I asked Slater what he thought of the T10 league. The one thing that I've come away with at the end of it is that it's something the players like. There have been many messages of criticism from watchers saying that it's ruining the game, but I think the longer I've been involved in the tournament, the more that I've felt that it 
has a place once or twice a year in a calendar that's jam-packed, and this one has already got its date set for next year. So whether there's one T10 tournament a year, I think there is a place for it. There's no doubt that India are going to latch onto it and, and do something in India, and I think they'll eat that up as well. And the players love it. And you can get through a tournament in two weeks or less. It doesn't want to really run longer than 10 or 12 days. And the players come in and out. And therefore, you get the best players wanting to do that. So moving with the times, I think there is a place. And if at all it encourages someone that wouldn't normally be into cricket to start enjoying watching cricket, then that's a good thing. A game goes for 90 minutes. So if you were trying to introduce it into... Uh, an Olympic Games, this this format might be the attractive one. The attractive one. Switching codes suddenly, you're heading back to Australia. Yeah. Uh, just talk us through Australia India, uh, how you see that the Test series. Well, I see India is very much the number one ranked side. I know they got beaten in England. Uh, you know, scoreline was a handsome one to England, but. You know, from all the highlights I saw, it was there were some really competitive moments in that series, and and you'd be a better judge than me. But it looked like that from afar, and I, I just think that Australia at this stage uh, are very much going to miss the Smith Warner um, run aggregates that they get most series, which get Australia over the line because there are enough runs for a quality Australian bowling attack to do the job and get twenty wickets. So. Look, I see our batting in, in disarray still. I, I'm not confident that we can get the runs. I think if our, our, our quicks stay fit, and that's obviously Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, and then you've got Nathan Lyon, who's the best offie in the world. So I think we can get the wickets, but I'm not sure we can get the runs. So my summation is, at this stage, India could win a series in Australia and win it handsomely. That's my prediction. What do you, yeah. what do you make of... The, the, this sort of elite honesty culture that they're trying to bring in. What have you made of the, the statements that they, they've come out with? They've, they've hardly won a, a single one-day match. Uh, I watched the T20 games against India and South Africa. No, you know, just, there didn't seem to be much kind of cohesion or uh, direction, really, in the way that they were playing. It, it, they look Actually, to me, they look as if they lack confidence. I think they're all still shell-shocked by what's happened in the last little while. So confidence is a big factor, and I think you're exactly right. And through all the hard work and all the team meetings they'd be having and all the motivational talks they'd be hearing, you know, they go out there and it probably is making even more pressure to perform, and and they keep losing, and it just compounds. You try harder and harder. There's that (laughs) crazy thing in sport, the harder you try the worse you play sometimes. Yeah. I think that's exactly what's happening. If they can just sort of breathe a little and relax and it not be so intense, so I, I, I don't know. I'm not in the camp, but I imagine they're working overtime to create this culture that is, you know, changing what people believe has has gone awry in the last decade somehow. And there's so much pressure on them for them to perform. So. Confidence is gone. There's, there's, I've got no doubt about that. But uh, a couple of good wins will certainly change that. Can they do that? It might take us a while. And uh, I hate to use the word transition. I don't think it's a transitional phase. I think it's it's about this team being cohesive and believing. And at the moment, they're not.
So Michael Slater there talking on his way back to Australia, where he's now commentating for Channel 7, actually. All change in Australian broadcasting. Channel 9, of course, have lost all the rights. And so now all the commentary teams are up in the air, and he's now working for Channel 7. There's also Fox covering the, the series. They've got parallel commentary teams, both on different networks, covering the same game. So that's quite an interesting uh, transition or, or transformation. Anyway, after the break, we'll consider the, what he's said, Slater, and also we'll look at your emails. So Slater, absolutely categorical. Yeah. Thinks that India are going to win. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that. No. Not, I'm not, I wouldn't be as equivocal as that. I think it's a really hard series to call, which, which makes it... So interesting. Australia got a strong bowling attack. Having said that, India showed in the summer with their pace bowling attack that they can cause problems as well, bowl with discipline. Uh, the spinners, they don't tend to do very well in Australia, do they, Aust- Aust- um, Indian spinners? No, Ashwin's got a bad record. Yeah, for example, Ashwin, yeah, he's never been able to sort of impose himself in, in Australian conditions, whereas, you know, Lyon, Nathan Lyon, a different sort of uh, bowler, of course, but... Bounce, he uses it, the bounce a lot more, doesn't he? Lyon, <laughs> Lyon's had thing. a great deal of success. And, yeah. and the, other, the other point is, is, is how they're going to play Lyon, because... He, he is the glue for that Australia attack because he allows the bowlers to rest. If he can bowl a lot of overs, which he did in the Ashes, hold an end and also be a threat as well, then clearly you know, it allows the others to rotate, allows them to rest. But if India were to get after Lyon, as the South Africans did, they, they put him over three and over in that series earlier this year, whereas in, in the Ashes he was under, under three and over, so he was able to bowl a lot more. Uh, you know, if India can get after Nathan Lyon and get on top of him, then that will put that Australian bowling attack under a, a lot more pressure. I, I, I would I find it really difficult to say which way the series is going to go, because I know I know how vulnerable India can be. They've got Kohli, of course, you know, and if he's really in the mood, then he can drag his team over the line. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, Kohli, they've got the plans for him. They've just announced them, actually, the Australians. They're going to bowl it, pitch it up. And, and try and get him driving. And it's the classic, isn't it, really? Because that, of course, is his strength. And so often with a the batsman, their strength is their weakness. So do they rein it in? Do they still go for those big drives? Uh, it, it's a question that, that, that batsmen ask themselves all the time. Well, it's just the shot that scores me lots of runs, so I'll keep playing it. Uh, the Australians, maybe it's just a, a phony war, and actually they're going to bomb, bombard it with bouncers. I don't know. I think I would actually target him with short balls mm. because I think he goes for it. And on the bigger Australian grounds, those top edges... Don't go for six, as they might do in, say, Indian grounds. So they say they're going to pitch it up, but in fact, they're, they're very well. They're, they're probably, going to bomb him. They're going to bomb him, yeah. Well, they, yeah, that's, that's, that's possible. When you look at... I, I don't, what do you think of warm-up games? I mean, just look at that warm-up game that India have had. I mean, sometimes when England used to go to the Ashes, and you, the first match, you know, there was all that sort of optimism, you know, England are going to go, going to go do, do well on an Australian tour. You know, they play the first match against the chairman's 11 at, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere or other, yeah. and, and there's a, even a one-day game, the opposition score about 380, and you think, oh, no, same, you know, same old story. Well, India have just played a, a warm-up game where they went for 500. Yeah. And you think, well, you know, I would be a bit concerned about that in, in a way because if you've, got, if you've got quality bowlers, this is not top-quality opposition, if you've got quality bowlers, you should be, you should be able to... Um, Get a hold on yeah. it, get a grip on it a bit more than that. I know you could say, well, they just go through the motions and not really putting a bit, it in. It's they? not a first class game, yeah. but I don't know. I think you, I mean, Over nowadays, it is a, it's a lot of runs, but I think now bowlers are, are so saving themselves right. for the big events that 
you know, the last thing they want to do. Shouldn't their quality shine through, though? Well, I mean, yeah, but that you know, ten percent less than your best yeah. often is a bit ineffective, uh, especially at the, the way the game has gone, the way that the, the the batsmen practice now with the the attention to detail and you know some good players just below international level who on a good pitch against bowlers who are not quite absolutely ratcheting it up. They can get runs, and I think bowlers go through those warm-up games very much as warm-up games. They don't want to exert themselves too much. They definitely don't want to get injured. They just want to find a bit of rhythm and bowl the odd quick ball, but there's no intensity. There's nothing at stake if they already know they're in the team. So they're just. I think they're just coasting. OK, fair enough. I'll, I'll take that back. I just I just caught my eye, though, 500. I mean, you, any, any self-respecting bowling attack would want to do a little bit better than that, I would have thought. But there we go. I, I accept your point, though, that, you, you know, it, it's not even a first-class game. And one of the Indian players, I think it was Rahani, re- retired out in the first innings for just over 50. And Austra- The Australians, you know, they... They're buggers, aren't they, though? Because they went and batted for 150 overs. <laughs> and Rahani had you know, retired out in the first innings. I'm not sure you know, whether there was some sort of pre-match agreement about how, how it was going to work out. But here you retired out for 50, and then Australia batted for 150 overs. I certainly think that the batsmen need more time to get used to Australian pitches. Although I know they're playing in Adelaide, the first test, which you know, doesn't bounce that much. But... Just generally, the, 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 the sort of abrasiveness of the conditions and the way the ball bounces early on and the, the type of bowlers that you face in Australia, sort of hard, back of the length, up into the rib area, really aggressive. It takes you a little while just to get to get used to that. So I'm not sure India have, have quite got that yet. So it could be that Australia, this is their best chance, Australia, of getting one up in the series in the first test and mm. getting one up over the Indians before they're entirely ready. Anyway, it all starts Wednesday night. What's your prediction? It'll be fascinating. I, I think it's going to be a drawn series, actually. I, I don't think that the Indian batting is going to be quite as good as, as people expect, again, like in England. And I, I think some, somehow the Australians are going to... Their bowling attack is pretty good. And if they stay fit they're going to give Indians a bit of a torrid time. I'm going to go Australia 3-1, but not with any sort of great confidence in that. I so think... we've got the three ranges here. We've got Slater saying India are going to win, you're saying Australia are going to win, and I'm sitting on the fence. Yeah, but I, I think it's going to be a really topsy-turvy series. I'm not, I don't, I, when I say 3-1 Australia, I don't think they're going to really dominate, but I think they're going to be good enough just to, to nick the win. I guess if Australia do win, then it could Make, make India's position as number one team yeah. a bit vulnerable. Yeah. And, of course, who's number two? Yeah. England. Yeah, they've got it mapped out, I think. They, they, I think they know how they, how they can get there, but obviously other things have to happen elsewhere for that, for that to happen quickly. Anyway, let's move on to your emails, which uh, we got a lot of last week. And, and thank you very much. And, by the way, if you would like to review this podcast please do on itunes it always helps us to know where we're going and how we're going so if you just go onto the uh, itunes app and review this podcast it will be really helpful uh, we've had some some great uh, comments different sorts of subjects some of the ones we asked for some of the ones we didn't uh, matthew walbridge andrew maxwell mark ridley have all talked about test match over rates uh, one person saying with tickets costing 100 pounds how can we possibly get away with the the terrible pedestrian overrates in mm. test cricket and making the suggestion that each session of play lasts 30 overs and the players don't get off 
for lunch or tea until those 30 overs are bowled so that you get 90 overs in a day. So are the lunch intervals and tea intervals reduced? They could be, couldn't they? Uh, they, they, I certainly think they're probably delayed, uh, which will obviously drive the caterers up the wall. But, you know, we're, we're not here for the caterers, are we? We're here for the public, the paying public. And I certainly think something needs to be worked out to make to make that better. The thing is, if you start cutting the intervals down, then you're going to get players trying to take more breaks in between sessions, longer drinks breaks, complaining about lack of time off and all that. So... It's not going to be an easy one to administer. But we did have that. Uh, I remember in the in the NatWest Cup in the old days, the NatWest Trophy in the sort of 1980s, you had to bowl a certain number of overs before tea. Mm. Otherwise, you didn't get off for the tea interval. And so that, that does work. It makes you get it makes you whistle through a few spinners <laughs> just before tea. Yeah, over rates. I, I mean, I talked to Marks about this, and he said, well, he said, what are you worrying about? He said, you know, we've had 83 overs today, but the cricket's been phenomenal. You know, it's been 300 for eight, say. And in a, in a way, you can't argue with that. But I, some, I watch Test cricket, and you have 10-minute spells when almost nothing happens. And it's, it's actually it's quite dull for spectators. Just, just get on with the game. Just yeah. have a bit more purpose. You know, bowl your 90 overs in six and a quarter hours. Just just get through them. There just needs to be a bit more purpose. It's a bit there's more just, intense. There's two, yeah. yeah. A bit more it, it, there it, is just urgency. I mean, it's, it, you watch, I timed, actually, the, 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 the seconds between overs during a test match last summer, and it varied between 45 seconds and a minute, depending on when it's Stuart, Stuart Broad or Jimmy Anderson bowling, just fiddling around with the field and not quite ready, and sometimes the batsman's not ready, and... It, it just that yeah you're right I think actually it's not that hard to get another five overs yeah. in in a day. I don't think the players really care that much. I don't think they see it as an issue. I really don't. No. Otherwise they would they would get on with it. Mm. But the, so so it's up to the authorities to make them see it as an issue. Yeah. To actually bring I, I, in some kind yeah. of stipulation, some sort of punishment, which which makes it happen, which makes which makes you have all those overs. I in think the day. I'd have a clock up it's, and, it's, and it's a also, countdown or something like that in between overs. You know, and if you're not ready by the time that that clock hits zero, then the, the penalties start racking yeah. up. Yeah, well, it happens in, in white ball cricket, doesn't it? It's not about quantity over quality. It's just having that... Just having all all of your days play. It's not, you know, if you go to a football match, a rugby match, you don't, you don't call the game off after 75 minutes or 80 minutes in the case of a football match because it's been exciting. Well, they play overtime now. Yeah, yeah. They play longer rather than shorter. Yeah, well, that, that that one of the problems there is because there's a lot of time wasting yeah, that goes on. You yeah. see, I mean, it's not so much in the Premier League. You see, in the lower down Championship, the amount of time not goalkeepers Bristol, surely <laughs> the time goalkeepers take to take goal kicks, take time it takes goalkeepers to kick the ball out of their hands or get rid of the ball when when they hold on to it. That that I mean, that's another issue altogether. Don't get me onto that. That's a completely <laughs> separate topic. But I I I don't think speeding the game up, the game of Test cricket up, will will harm it. And I think it's the players are capable of doing it, and it, it just it, it makes the spectacle more interesting. You can you just sitting there watching. Come on, let's have some action. Even though, even though the game can be nicely poised, even though you're seeing good cricket, what's wrong with seeing a bit more good cricket? You, and and it's right. You're paying a hundred pounds for your tickets. Mm. Yeah, totally. Right. Well, Tim Cunliffe and Charlene Ward have have entered into the idea of how to administer or check on no balls. Mm. Uh, Tim Cunliffe reckons we should try the laser beam type system that they use in tennis where uh, the the line calls, the bleeps go off and all that. Uh, I don't know whether cricket can work with that because I think 
they'd be t- they might be too far away, the laser beams, mm. unless you could sort of install them close to the pitch. And then the problem comes because the pitch is moved and they're in different places. So it's slightly tricky. I don't know how accurate those laser beams would be from the boundary edge. Uh, Charlene Ward has, has talked about uh, the plasticine that they use on the long jump line uh, that the the foot leaves a little indentation, and that shows whether he's over the line or not. The trouble is, they keep having to redo that every ball. <laughs> redo the plasticine after every ball. Yeah, it's not easy. That also, as well, you can you can plant your foot over the line, but, yeah. but, but, your but back, without touching. Well, yeah, she, the, your back foot is raised behind yeah. the line, and that is not a no ball. That's right. So the, the plasticine um, is a good idea, but it, yeah, I like the, the sort of left field thinking. I like your thinking, but yeah. it doesn't in practice. I don't think that would work. Well, well, why we're talking about this, of course, is umpires are basically. In Test cricket, seem to stop calling no balls because they know that they can get away with it on with the, the with the technology. That if yeah. a batsman is dismissed off a no ball, then it will be reviewed and they can, and the batsman will be reinstated. So they, in, in that sense, they won't make a mistake. But if a guy is bowling no ball after no ball, then the the batting side is also losing out on runs. It's very difficult to to adjudicate no no balls for an umpire because. They, I mean, you know, if you think about it now, they have to stand that bit further back from the stump, especially in one-day cricket, because of the power of yeah. the batsman. Yeah. No bat, no umpire with, with self-respecting umpire is going to stand right up to the stumps because you, you want to give yourself a little bit more leeway, not only for the power of the shots coming back at you, but also the ricochets off the stumps, which end up, you know, straight mm. into your chin or whatever. So you've seen umpires wearing protection and all that. So they stand a little bit further back from the stumps. And to be able to judge those... You know, millimetre line calls yeah. is virtually impossible from yeah. that and, position. And of course, if they get it wrong, you know, and it's not a no ball, yeah. and the batsman is out, then, then it's hard. You, you you can't reverse it. Can yeah. you? If you caught a no ball, yeah, you can't reverse it. So that's that. That's why they err on the side of caution. It might be interesting actually to, if there are some umpires out there who could make some suggestions what they would do with with the no balls. I mean, people have talked about using the the third umpire to, to, to check them. And, mm. and they've tried, the ICC have tried this, haven't they, in the past, but for, for some reason it hasn't quite worked or they, they're not happy with the experiment. And so they've gone back to the system of the umpires calling on the field. Or, but they're not calling, so clearly there is an issue. And it, it was raised in that last test match with, well... Two in the uh, same over, almost. Yeah, Sandy Can <clears throat> got rid of uh, Stokes twice, mm. uh, both for no balls. Yeah. Weird for a batsman as well to think, oh, I'm out. You know, hit, I think one of them Stokes hit to cover, didn't he? And if he walks off, then he's back in again. <laughs> and, um, well, it must be, must be a weird feeling, good feeling for a batsman. But, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, no, there's no obvious solution to that problem what else have we got now we've got james byrne here who uh, is is very much um, along your lines you'll be uh, you know cheering from the rooftops here because he wants numbers and names on shirts for well, test cricket well it's, a, I, I, it's just it's a, a no-brainer it's a no-brainer yeah. it's an absolute no-brainer mm. tell the public who's playing i mean i've been banging on it for for many years in the past people used to get really stuck into me saying you know i'm, I'm just, you know ripping up civilization by having names and numbers on the back of shirts but i think that's all changed a bit now especially when you consider now you can ch- challenge the umpire and you know on, on players shirts now there's every bit of information on there apart from who's who the player is yeah. i mean there's all the sponsors logos oh that's okay we can know who sponsors the teams without <laughs> yeah, four quite. different logos on there but we're not allowed to know who the the players on we have floodlights we have we've had pink ball test matches i mean come on i mean I'm all for the, sort of the the basic tradition of Test cricket, but let, let's move with the times. There's nothing wrong with it. There's, there's nothing wrong with change. Change is a part of life. That's a good change. And there's another one here. Um, Jeremy Hucker says ricochets off the stumps 
shouldn't count as overthrows. Mm. That's one I've always thought about. Actually. Well, it's because you're a bowler. I mean, it's terrible. The, the, bat, the, the, the fielder hurls the stumps down. The batsman's just made it. The ball ricochets to the boundary, and you, it costs you four more runs. I, I, admittedly, there are times when the fielder shouldn't have thrown it, mm. but generally, you're penalising a fielder for a good bit of work hitting the stumps, whereas if it misses the stumps, it's normally backed up. But because it ricochets and goes off in a different direction, the backer-uppers are flummoxed and the ball goes to the boundary. So if the ball hits the stumps, you think dead ball should yeah. be called, do you? Yeah, I do. I agree with that. Hmm. You're just mulling over well, it. Well, just, I'm just thinking... I hadn't thought through the, the total consequences of that. I mean, the, only, the only issue I can see, just this is totally off the top of my head with that, is that fielding sides would throw at the stumps constantly mm. and it could get really could get really well, why, tedious. I mean I, it could get tedious but I don't know why they would really I mean why why would you keep throwing at the stumps just to keep the batsman honest sort of thing I mean it wastes a lot of time yeah. so yeah I don't know I mean it's an interesting idea one thing I would say about it is you know who said life's fair I mean sometimes things are just a bit unfair in life and you have to get on with them Talking of life being unfair, there's a fantastic email here from Ben White, and I'm just going to read it out because we asked for after the story last week of the, the the post-war cricketer with one leg who played for North Ants, and also my story about the the chap who had his leg bitten off by a shark and he still played cricket. We've got here um, two people that the Ben White has encountered. Uh, we were playing second eleven village cricket. It wasn't of the highest standard. But a guy called Chris Foster was remarkable. I opened the batting and Chris opened the bowling. He he lost his leg as a child. And what was extremely unusual was that Chris actually fielded using crutches. As he approached the umpire, I asked for his action. Right arm over was the reply. He then added the umpire his crutches and hopped 10, 15 yards back. On the call of play, he hopped in and sent down some respectable medium pace. Mm. That's pretty good, isn't it? Then he says, also, our guy, our guy I played against quite a lot, Lee, who plays for Nazing Common CC, has a congenital limb deformity, and it means he has one arm shorter than the other, so that whenever he plays a shot other than a forward defensive, he can't hold the bat. And what really blew me away was that during a run chase, where they needed about 20 and over, they were really going forward, and the guy managed to hit some straight sixes with one hand. When you consider he could literally have no bottom hand, and a player, you beautiful, elegant, lofted drive like that straight into the into the pavilion was a fantastic performance. So, two great uh, mm. examples there of cricketers dealing with hardship and still carrying on playing. I love the idea of a guy fielding with crutches and then putting them down, hopping into bowl. Yeah. Also hitting sixes with one hand. So I remember Malcolm Marshall broke his yeah. arm in a test match at Headingley and came out to bat one hand. He actually just summed up England at the time. He actually managed to slice one for four. But, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's fantastic to see people overcome adversity to, to go and pl- to play the game. Yeah, yeah. I know Boycott would have said to me, well, I think you should have bowled with one leg on, really. You'd be better off popping into bowl. Anyway, there we are. So well, well done to those two. And Ben White, thanks for your email. That's really brilliant. Uh, lovely story. Any of those others that you've got like that, you know, send them in. And, of course, the point is you can win tickets to the Lord's Test. Very we're well gonna, reminded. We're going to do a draw. We are straight after the uh, Christmas break. We're going to do a draw. I've already got the tickets. <laughs> so it's tickets for the Saturday of the Lord's Fantastic. Test, the Ashes Test match. Uh, 
you'll all enter the draw if you email us a question or an interesting comment about cricket to the analyst podcast at gmail.com fantastic prize don't forget the australia india test series starts on wednesday night from about 11 p.m uh, so that's one thing uh, one date for your diary if you can possibly stay up i hope i can i hope i can stay awake actually but i reckon the i reckon the contest will keep me well awake absolutely if that's not going to keep you awake because i don't know what it is nice to speak to you thanks for listening speak to you next week bye for now Podcast Network.